All right, hello everyone. This is Jeffrey Harris with uh, 411 Mania and the 411 Wrestling Interviews Podcast. For today's interview, it is quite possibly one of the most important interviews ever. I'm speaking to a legend, a WWE Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, the best in the business, good old JR, Jim Ross. His new book uh, is now out, uh, Under the Black Hat. It's available on hardcover. It's available digital ebook, and uh, you can also listen to the audio version, narrated by Jim Ross himself, and you can get it on Amazon right now. Jim, congratulations on your new book. Uh, how does it feel to have this? Uh, your this is your second book. First one was uh, Slobber Knocker, and uh, now people uh, can can hear some of these amazing stories of your career straight from you. Well, it's a continuation, uh, Jeffrey, of my uh, first book, the, the Slobberknocker book you referred to. Uh, it just tells the rest of the story. It was important for me to write because I finished <clears throat> writing Slobberknocker with Paul O'Brien uh, not long after my wife, Jen, was killed right here by my home in uh, March of 17. So uh, uh, I just wanted to finish the story and, and cover chronologically some very timely and important topics in my career that the fans will be familiar with. In other words, we pick up right after Austin beats uh, Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, take the story all the way through to where I leave WWE and, and then uh, move over to AEW. It includes the Attitude Era, the XFL, the Monday Night Wars, all kinds of things, uh, signing talents, Austin's last match, my relationship with Vince McMahon, uh, and a lot of things like that that I didn't cover in the first book simply because I was trying to write chronologically. And so we just finished the story here. And most importantly, I got a chance to, uh, to honor my late wife. Uh, and uh, I wanted to make sure I did that because I wanted to be able to tell her aspect, her part of my our story as well. So it's a, it was a, it was a, a labor of love. And, I, and I'm really tickled. By the way, Amazon has my book, uh, as Under the Black Hat. So does Walmart.com, Target.com, and uh, at my website, JRSBBQ.com, uh, you can get a, a personalized autographed copy. And if you live in the lower 48, uh, it's free shipping. So check that out, JRSBBQ.com. And it's almost grilling season for a lot of us. So uh, there's also, also some good condiments there. So it was just... It was unfinished work, and I wanted to make sure that my, my wife's memory was uh, given the hug that it needed. Uh, when would you say this latest project started to coalesce, uh, JR? Well, let's see. My, it started, I would say it started in the, in the uh, 18, probably around 2018. Yeah, it was a, the the Sovereigner came out in October of seventeen, I think it was, and uh, then Paul O'Brien and I strategized about telling the rest of the story and getting started uh, in early two thousand eighteen. So it was a it was a couple of years in the making. It was a major project, and uh, because Paul lives in Ireland and I live here in Oklahoma, you know, we had to work out a system where we could communicate regularly, and we did, and and, and we used every form of communication we did text messaging, we did phone calls by the score, uh, all kinds of things. So 
uh, we we really collaborated well. Paul O'Brien, Paul O'Brien knows me probably better than I know me. Uh, in all your time that you spent in WWE with and around Vince McMahon, was there ever a time where you considered yourself and Vince to be friends, or did you always sort of have a line of separation there and just always see him as the boss and the man in charge? We're friends now. Why would you think we're not friends today? Because I'm working for another company. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just curious. I'm glad to hear that, though. I think that's good. It's good for our lives. It's good for our souls. I say this all the time, man. And you younger guys got to really tighten it up on this deal. It's, but I don't have any room in my carry-on for negatives. I don't want to answer questions. Well, who's the biggest disappointment you ever had? What's the worst match you ever called? Why are we so hell bent on talking about the worst and, and the and this is bad? I don't understand. That's our society right now. It's horrible. It's pathetic and it's embarrassing. Uh, Vince and I are friends today. We were friends 25 years ago. I was with him for over a quarter of a century. You don't dissolve a friendship simply because you leave the employee of one. You know, I, I wanted to get back on the air. And, and the WWE at that time did not have a place for me to get back on the air on a regular basis. And when you're on the back nine of life, younger guys don't think about this, but when you're on the back nine of life, man, you don't want any day to go by that you can't maximize your minutes. So uh, Tony Khan comes along. My contract's expiring. I choose not to renegotiate. I was ready to leave, not angrily. I just wanted to leave and go play somewhere. That's all. Get back in the game. And Tony Khan provided that opportunity, but this book is not a hatchet job on missing man. If people are thinking they're going to read that, uh, then, then they're, they're going to be disappointed. It tells reality. It talks about truth. It talks about real situations, and not, and all of them were not positive. But that's the way. That's life, man. That's life. This stuff we're doing right now, this coronavirus, it's not positive either, by the way. And it's a whole lot more important than uh, you know the, the most. It's the most important thing in our lives right now. Because we all want to live. So, uh, anyway, I, this night, look, we don't communicate regularly. Mm -hmm. When we do, it's normally by text. But I have great respect for Vince McMahon. And for 25 years, he paid me a lot of money to do my job. And some days are better than others. I'll just say that. But it, all it was was a microcosm of life. Some days are simply better than others. Now, Jim, uh, I remember I got to go to uh, WrestleMania 17, uh, Austin versus The Rock at the Astrodome. Uh, just that moment, still, it's still to this day, almost 20 years later, it still sticks out in my mind to you. Excuse me, to me. What do you remember about that night? And, and do you feel like that was sort of like the moment, uh, like the peak of the Attitude Era at that time? Well, it was a major moment in the attitude. Her peak, I don't know if it's a peak or not, but could be arguably said so. Uh, I thought it was a mistake to turn Austin heel. I still do. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what he wanted. We owed it to Steve. As I write in the book, Ben said we owe it to Steve to give it a shot. And we did. Uh, but I never thought it was a strategic idea, especially doing it in his home state, in his home market area uh, of Houston, the Astrodome. But I was amazed by the crowd that we drew. I wasn't surprised because the product was red hot then. You know, it was the irony of that is that I remember when uh, we were booking that card, and then you know I, I made I think I mentioned to Vincent, you know, we got it's a hell of a card, but what are we going to do with uh, Triple H and Undertaker? 
and because they weren't booked. And I said, he said, well, we're going to book them. And so that they, they had a match. It was a, and, and, and that was the, you know, the quote unquote, get them on the card. If you want to look at that logic, that was a, that's a horrible way to put it because they're two of the very, very best that we had, but they weren't involved in major stories. Uh, and, and at that time, for whatever reason, that's not a good, good answer either. But I just thought that, that uh, the card was loaded. I thought that the Dudley's Edge Christian, the Hardy Boys, uh, made themselves famous and a lot more money by their performance in the TLC match. I thought that that Rock and uh, and Steve had a hell of a match, no doubt about that. But I just wasn't prepared for the change in in, uh, in persona of, of of Austin. To me, Austin turning heel was like John Wayne becoming a Nazi. It didn't fit the script. You know, looking back, I remember the fans were actually still were still hot for the fact uh, uh, that Austin won that night, even though he kind of screwed over the Rock and uh, turned heel. And there there are some moments in the Austin Hill turn that I do look uh, fondly back upon, because uh, there was I remember that feud with Kurt Angle where I feel like Angle really came into his own uh, in that feud and kind of. Uh, Proved he could be a, a top babyface in that feud. There were small victories in that uh, scenario with Steve as a heel, but the fans just did not want to boo him. Right. Uh, he 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 could do no wrong in their eyes. He was what they wanted to be: defiant, blue collar, you know, uh, honest, and all those all the things that you kind of want in your heroes. He was still that person. He didn't. He didn't start pulling hair. He didn't start poking eyes. He didn't do all the, the heel things. He still was the same self. And I just think they were they were ready to forgive him at any moment of what he that, of him aligning with Mr. McMahon. So, uh, but yeah, there's there are small wins out of it, no doubt about it. I just think over the long haul, it didn't have a lot of validity. Do you think the Austin heel turn? Do you think that plays into it all? You know, when you look at a John Cena or a Roman Reigns and John Cena after he became like that top main event guy never turned heel uh and same with uh Roman Reigns sort of in his run at the moment do you think it goes back to sort of the reaction to what happened with Austin's heel turn unlikely I think it has all to do with common sense and you learn from your journey and uh when you got a guy that's selling that much merchandise uh, and, and selling that many tickets and, and, and so pay-per-view after pay-per-view become the biggest star in the world with all these outside ancillary contributions of revenue, why would you want to tinker with that? If you're a real villain, then why would I want to display your shirts? Now, today's society being more defiant and uh, a little bit more of a, you know, a little, little edgier, I guess, uh, they don't have any issues wearing heel shirts, which is a good thing for the talents, especially. But no, I don't think it had any, anything. I just think it's logical. John, John Cena was was at one time was going to was being considered for a heel turn. I think John was even willing to try it. But the question comes back to why are we taking a guy that's selling more merchandise by far and making more money for the company by far than anybody else in the roster and making him a villain? What logic is that? And I, I found no logic in that. And it's all about market research, man. The crowd loved the guy, or he was polarizing, but they gave a damn. So I just didn't see the issue of changing a big change in his persona, because 
You're going to get some people that's going to boo him because out of defiance, they like to hijack shows and be little wise asses. And you got some guys that uh, are locker room leaders and guys that are pulling the wagon. And, and, and nobody worked harder than John Cena in WWE while I was there. And uh, so changing that is, is for what reason? I mean, what, what are, we, are we changing it for change's sake? Or do we have valid reasons? Has his merch numbers dropped drastically? Is he losing his popularity? Is he losing his edge? The answer to all those questions is no, 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 you're not. So to change for change's sake, oftentimes wrestling booking is done with that spirit in mind. And it's not, it's not a healthy way of doing business. Now, JR, when I watch AEW, I just feel, I feel energized. I feel refreshed. So I'm curious with you, was there ever a moment when you started, you know, your dealings with AEW, did you ever have a moment where you were like, you know, I think, I think this group, they might have something going on here? First time I met Tony Khan, and we got to talking, that was the weekend that, uh, that Access TV was doing the uh, Long Beach uh, New Japan weekend, Saturday and Sunday shows. I was and there Tony for both there. shows. Tony was there as a fan. And I was introduced to him by our mutual friend Alex Marvez, the uh, esteemed NFL writer and uh, and broadcaster on Sirius XM. And so we hung out that weekend. I knew then that I'd met a very special person as far as the history of wrestling, the respect for wrestling, and he and he loved pro wrestling. Didn't say he was a big fan. I didn't. He didn't say yay or nay. But I took. He was not a major fan of uh, of scripted promos type thing. Or, or too much entertainment, not enough steak, too much sizzle. So little did I know that his, his goal was to create his own company. And uh, so, and th- nonetheless, when he reached out to my agent, Barry Bloom, uh, in the, I guess it was probably the early part of, uh, 2000, of last, 2019. Yeah, that's when we started. Uh, I was excited about Re, re, uh, rejoining him. I was excited about re- connecting with Tony. And uh, then I met with him and we talked about what he wanted and what his visions were and they matched mine. He wanted a sports-oriented he wanted a sports-oriented uh, uh, presentation of believable pro wrestling. Not sports entertainment. Believable, athletically-based pro wrestling. And so then uh, we, we, he uh, worked out a deal very quickly with my agent, and all of a sudden I'm on the team. Never regret. I knew it was a new adventure for me, and I needed to get working. I needed to be active. Not because I needed the payday to go to the grocery store, because I was going crazy sitting home in an empty house as an empty nester and with, with, a, lot of, with a lot of more energy, and I, and I perceived more fuel in my tank. So uh, Tony Khan came along at the exact right time in my life, so I didn't leave WWE with any animosity. I didn't leave her mad. That's so, that's so childish. It's Mickey Mouse, Rinky Dink bullshit. That was not going to be me. So uh, my book is very honest. My book is very, very, uh, uh, I think, pointed as far as what I'm talking about. And uh, But uh, I can't go on there and say, well, this man was the worst person I ever worked with. That'd be so stupid. Because he wasn't. And that's a pre. People misunderstand mis, uh, Mr. McMahon and Vince McMahon. It's a lot easier to bitch at somebody and to knock them as Mr. McMahon than it is to understand the human being that is Vince McMahon. Does he have faults? 
Hell yes. And so do you. And so do I. And so the next guy you're going to talk to. But that's just the way the that's the way we're built. So uh, I I have, still have a great respect for Vince. I text him with my congrats, congratulations on uh, the success of WrestleMania because I thought it was, uh, by and large, uh, uh, an artistic miracle that they were able to do what they did in the environment that they were operating in. So uh, it's just a it's, it was just a great run. But Tony Khan wanted me to get back in the game, and I didn't have a spot in that regard. Vince, I guess, believed that. It was time for a change. It was time to get younger. It's time to get not so southern. I don't need a I don't need a chubby announcer that has Bell's palsy. He can't smile. That may be it. Hell, I don't know. All I know is that he made the call, and out of respect for him, I didn't question why he made the call. I just adjusted my life to, to move on. Really, really simple. Don't overthink it. Now, Jr., we're in a very sort of difficult time right now. It, it's happening all over the world. You know, with the coronavirus. Everything shut down, and, and somehow AEW, WWE have managed to endure through this. Is this that old saying in wrestling of turning chicken blank into uh, chicken salad? You know, with what we see. Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of, of uh, I think it's a matter of fulfilling your commitments. They have a commitment to their various broadcast partners uh, that they're going to provide programming, first run programming. And that's what they're both doing. So I, I, I look at it as a, they're, they're honoring their commitments and keeping their end of the bargain up. They're having to do it in a very unique way. Uh, but as long as they can find sound studios or somewhere that it's legal to do a, a controlled taping, I perceive that both of them are going to continue to do exactly what they're doing uh, until this thing uh, is, is, has been uh, uh, eradicated or at least released to some degree. So I, I think it's just a matter of keeping the commitment Fans need entertainment. You know, uh, I'm, I need it. I, I find myself watching new shows, binge watching things I normally would binge watch. And uh, I know that next week I'm going to have the opportunity to call the uh, John Moxley, Jake Hager, no host Bart empty arena match by myself. Uh, that will air on uh, on TNT next Wednesday night at 8, 7 Central. So I'm, I'm jacked about that. That's a big deal for me. So I get out of the house and uh, I get to do a little voiceover and, it's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, uh, I've got high hopes. I didn't even know that, so uh, I'm even more excited uh, to watch that match uh, and, to, and to be hearing you call it. So, And I saw the, uh, the recap you did with Excalibur and Taz this week, so thanks for doing that as well. Um, I thought the way AEW handled this, I mean, it was definitely a unique situation, but I thought the way AEW handled this was ingenious the way they set up the hard have the hard cam in front of the entrance and then you know put some of the guys uh some of the wrestlers put them around the ring and have them uh what you know react and enjoy the product i thought that was that to me i, I was brilliant but what did you think about that i liked it i thought it was a, a cool idea it had a little ambiance it had a little bit of a, a feel you know as best we could to add to the product I think that the talents that uh, are at ringside could do a little bit better job of selecting their, their wardrobe. Uh, you know, it looks like they're just hanging out. And I, uh, I thought that was at least be wearing AEW merchandise or their own merchandise to some degree. It's a smart idea, though. It's a smart idea. Now, from what I understand, the Moxley-Hager match has nobody there. Nobody. It's got a cameraman, no ring announcer. A cameraman, cameraman, 
couple of those, I think, uh, and the two towels. That's it. You don't see anybody else. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that presentation because I know those guys are be wrestling and fighting around concrete, steel, inanimate objects. They're going to be taking bumps on things that aren't meant to be taking bumps on. And I know both of them are aggressive, physical guys. So this could be one of the more aggressive, uh, really a, a legit slobber knocker, uh, if I may, uh, on Wednesday night on TNT. I'm looking forward to calling it. Do you think there's something to be said for the approach WrestleMania took? You know, I mean, you mentioned earlier that they pulled off a miracle, but the approach they took for matches like AJ Styles and The Undertaker with the Boneyard and also John Cena and Bray Wyatt for the Firefly Funhouse and trying, you know, trying something different where you have to have this controlled environment and you can't have an audience. Well, it's, I think based on the hand that we're dealt, you can't have fans. You can't go to arenas. You can't travel your show. So how do you how do you create continue to create uh, first run uh, fresh product? Well, you pre tape it and you pre produce it and you add all the, the neat little whistles and bells that you can do with a good production team. And there's no doubt that not only do we have a good production team, it's smaller, it's tight knit. We got some great talented guys, but they have got a expansive production team. Uh, with a lot of bodies, a lot of creativity. So I think that inevitably, to get fresh content and, and some and some significant uh, developments, uh, like a, a Boneyard match, for example, which I thought was phenomenal. No, no pun intended for AJ, who's amazing in that match and my, one of my all-time favorites. The Clint Eastwood of WWE, good old Undertaker, Mark Calloway, who I love. Uh, I can't say that. Why wouldn't it be a sign of the times based on the hand that we're dealt. I can't see both companies shying away from pre-produced elements that will be first run that nobody has seen. And in our safe situation, we don't have any writers. We don't have any producers. We have, we have coaches and we have talents that are motivated to create their own content. Just like Chris Jericho did when he did the drone thing from his hot tub uh, a few days, a few weeks ago, uh, from his backyard. That was Chris's idea. Chris shot it. Or maybe had a family member shoot it. Hell, I don't know. And it may have been shot on an iPhone. I don't know that either. Wouldn't doubt it. But our talents are being encouraged to create their own content and send it in. And if it's good and it fits the storylines, et cetera, et cetera, then they're going to air it. So I think that's a great development for us. And I can't see it stopping as long as we're in this empty arena environment. You know, I've never believed for a pro wrestling show that the idea of having a good in-ring product, having good storylines and promos, I've never believed those those ideas are, are mutually exclusive. And I feel like you would agree with that. But what do you think? Well, it's a combined effort. You know, you, it starts with the state. That's a bell to bell. It starts there for me. And then you put the... Uh, uh, the 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 accompaniments the on the entrees of wrestling the physicality the storytelling in the ring bell to bell and the dessert and the appetizers and all the things around that that uh, entree is the sizzle and that's the entertainment facet of it so uh, but I'm a big pro, I'm a big believer that the priority is going to be the in ring product because I think that's basically what people primarily tune in to see is it's physicality and athleticism, but you gotta have you gotta have some sizzle. You gotta have some entertainment. 
I would rather, though, the talent create their, their sizzle because they got to execute it. None of them are pro, none of them are, uh, none of them are trained actors, to my knowledge, with a long resume of, of the hits. They're wrestlers, they're athletes, they're fans, just like you and me, they're fans. So consequently, they should be able to speak in their own voice. They shouldn't be forced to memorize a promo as if they're a, a, a trained actor. That's illogical. And it takes all the individuality away from a talent. And talents seek the individuality and the ability uh, to create their own uh, storylines and, and add to. And I think that's what we have in our company is that all these guys have a, have a agendas that now that they're in a, a free-thinking environment, that they're able to uh, create on their own. And some of them are going to have great ideas and are going to be successful. Some of them are going to have ideas that didn't quite make it. But the great thing about it is that they're trying to accomplish that. And I, I love that. So that means the fans are going to get organic, real material and not something that's out of somebody else's mind that's, that's been transferred to, to, to the wrestler and they got to memorize these lines. I, I just, to me, that's the system that's built for failure. As a person who was once, you know, the head of talent relations for WWE, what do you make of how talents use social media? Is it a volatile tool? Is it is it dangerous, or could it be important? Because sometimes we see wrestlers, at, you know, they're publicly asking for their releases on social media. But how do you view that when talents are using their social media accounts this way? If they're using it positively. They're using it with good intentions. They're expressing their legitimate opinion or concerns or feelings. I got no problem with it. If it's a personal agenda about poor me, I'm not getting a push. Uh, I, I should, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm getting overlooked. Bob, you know, negative, negative, negative. I I, I, I don't even read those. I, I if I see that's where they are, I move on. But if you're honest and, and objective and using some sensibilities. I don't have any issue with it. And here's the other thing about that. The genie's out of the bottom, man. Nobody's going to go back and say, oh, we won't do that anymore. We live in a society of defiance. I said that before. I believe it. And people are going to express themselves because there can be a lot of brave bastards behind their keyboard saying whatever they want. I've got it myself many, many times. Oh, JR's lost it. JR can't do his job anymore. And the guys, you know, how do I, how do I know other than someone give me an opinion are they qualified to, to give that opinion? Based on what are you saying I can't do my job type deal? Not very many do that, but it's just a matter of some people feel that's their their outlet and their avenue to get attention and to be recognized. I just think it's the wrong method of, rec of, being, of being recognized. You can do it in a, in a more upscale, high road way and still get your message across without coming off like a, like a crybaby and everything somebody else's fault, but not the guy I see in the mirror. Now, uh, as Conrad Thompson would say, according to rumor and innuendo, a team called The Revival has been released by the WWE and that they are free agents now. What do you think of The Revival? Do you think they're good wrestlers and they're good talents? I don't know that they're free agents. I know they're getting released in their contract, but until the... the uh, 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 their clause, their, their uh, 90-day clause, or whatever it may be, uh, if they have that. And maybe WWE has relaxed that for these, these two men. I don't know. N not my hill to die on. Uh, am I a fan of Revival's work? Hell yeah. Of course I am. Why wouldn't I be? 
they're they're a great they're a throwback to great teams like Iron and Tully, uh, the Midnight Express. You know, all, all, there's so many great teams, and re- tag team wrestling has become kind of an afterthought in some companies. It isn't in AEW because uh, we got uh, Omega and, and Hangman Page as our champions. We got the Young Bucks, who may be the best tag team in the world. Lucha Bros, Santana and Ortiz, best friends, um, and you know, Dark Side. Uh, and with the Brody Lee there, the Dark Side is a different entity, which I, I'm glad to say. So uh, we, we would be foolish. We meaning AEW, and this, I'm not in that loop. But if, if Tony Khan called me and said, "Hey, Chara, what do you think of the revival?" I would say, if you can cut a deal that's a win-win, hire them. Uh, but I, I don't know what the what the revival's plans are or when they'll be available. But are they a great team? Hell yeah, they're a great team. Would they fit into AEW like a glo- hand in glove? Without a doubt. Time will tell. Uh, J, uh, JR, thank you for all this time. Uh, I really appreciate you and, and all, all you give us uh, for your career. You know, you've been a part of my life, you know, going back over 30 years now, you know, going back to those days in WCW, you know, when Sting first won the WCW world title, and even a moment people might revile when, you know, the Black Scorpion came in on a, on a spacecraft. You know, I, I remember listening to you talk about those moments and just doing it 100%, and I, I only look back on those moments with fondness, so... I want so I just really just want to thank you, you know, for all the great work you do and and all the, you know, being you know being there for a lot of important moments in my life and even still, you know, it's really tough right now. But the fact that you know after Dynamite I could listen to you know you Excalibur Taz talk about wrestling, that was a great evening for me. So I really appreciate you and and uh, what you do. So. Just wanted to, one last thing. If you want to share uh, um, anything about the book or uh, where where people can find you on social media or any other merchandise plugs, anything you wanted to say for for our listeners, I wanted to give you that time. Sure, thanks. Uh, JRSBBQ.com. JRSBBQ.com. That's my website that we run out run here out of uh, Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, it has all of our condiments, sauces, ketchup, mustard, beef jerky, seasoning, and it also has a great offer on Under the Black Hat, where you get a personalized autograph. You tell me what you want, how you want me to inscribe it. Uh, you'll get a, a, a custom-made bookmark, which is kind of cool. Uh, first, uh, first time I've ever done that. And uh, we, more importantly, perhaps, is that we pay for uh, the shipping if it's in the lower 48. So you free shipping, the book inscribed like you want. Uh, I think that's a cool offer. JRSBBQ.com. And of course, when, the, when Barnes and Noble and all the other bookstores open back up on a regular basis, it'll be there. And until then, it's at Amazon, Walmart.com, Target.com, uh, any of those, any online uh, uh, areas. Uh, and Simon Schuster has been a great partner. They're just they're big league man. Uh, we really upgraded in our publishing uh, partners, and uh, they're just amazing to work with. So within three days of my book being released, it was the number one selling uh, sports biography in our category uh, on Amazon. So it's doing well. It's a hell of a read. It's truthful. It's honest. And I think a real wrestling fan is going to just dig the hell out of it. 
Uh, JR, thank you for this time. Congratulations uh, on the book release. And uh, here's to, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this John Moxley-Jake Hager match and, and hearing you call it. And, and hopefully we'll have you back at arenas sooner rather than later because this quarantine's it's definitely driving me up the wall. So I hope you're yeah. doing okay, and I, and I hope you're staying safe, sir. I am. I appreciate those thoughts. Same to you. We all got to be patient and keep the battle going. Don't, again, I'll say this in closing, uh, as far as this virus is concerned. Dusty Rhodes told me one time when I was having a, a kind of a rough period and I was thinking about doing something else. He said, you know, if you don't have a jersey, you can't play in the game. And so it was a matter of basically saying, if you quit, you're out. And I didn't want to, and I was just, uh, I learned a lesson in that day. So uh, that's, not, that's how it is for all of us. If we give up, if we throw our hands up, if we if we voluntarily turn our jerseys in, we're out of the game, and that's not good for anybody. So let's all remain diligent, vigilant, and and use common sense. I don't like this social isolation either, man. It's, I never had so much fun going to the grocery store about every other day or three days than I do now. It's like going to, to Six Flags or something. I'm having a great time because I'm out of the damn house for a few minutes. But we've got to be smart and everybody take care of each other and uh, wear those damn masks and, uh, and, and just be really uh, smart about how you do this thing. We may be seeing the light in the tunnel. We don't know that. But until we are, let's all still observe the rules of engagement for this horrid, horrid virus. Thank you very much, uh, uh, JR. You're, you're, you're the best in the business. So thank you and uh, congrats on the book. I really appreciate it, sir. Okay, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Have, have a great, safe day. Appreciate it. All right, that was a great interview with Jim Ross. You've been listening to Jeffrey Harris talking to Jim Ross on the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast. Have a safe day, everybody.